All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Human. I'm your host, Mark Champagne, and it is my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game, personally and professionally. And we've got a treat for everyone today. We've got Chip Conley here, who is a two-time guest of the show. He graciously is on the cover of, of my book, Personal Socrates, which I, uh, you know, which fills my heart. And obviously, he has a profile in the book as well that we've, we've talked about in this show. Um, so I highly encourage you to check out the first episode I'll put in the show uh, notes. But just for people tuning in that may not be familiar with Chip, he is a New York Times bestselling author. He is the hospitality maverick who helped Airbnb's founders turn their fast-growing tech startup into a global hospitality brand. He's also the founder of the Modern Elder Academy, where a new roadmap for midlife is offered at a beautiful oceanfront campus in Mexico. And I had to include this. This is straight from his uh, Instagram description. Optimistical dude who is blossoming into a modern elder. I mean, <laughs> optimistical. That's great, I guess right? yes, being both mystical and optimistic op- at the same time. Welcome to the show, my man. Oh, Mark, you, you know, it's uh, your humanity comes through in every conversation I have with you. So, and I, and we need more of that in the world. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'll take it. Received. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, let's 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 just jump right in. Uh, as you know, same question. It's been oh gosh, I guess four years. I've been asking this this opening question, and it never gets old. But because we're always evolving, and that's just who are you today? Who 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 is Chip today in front of us? Um, you know, I, I am an optimistical dude uh, who is budding, a budding modern elder, and a modern elder is someone who's as curious as they are wise. And yeah. I only learned that when I joined Airbnb and was twice the age of the average employee there, and and the three founders started calling me the company's modern elder. <laughs> so I, initially, I didn't like that, but I, I the idea that I'm I am as curious as I am wise, and that. As we get older, it's about alchemy, you know, gravitas and and levity, you know. Yeah. Gravitas is like, okay, it's serious, but like, and levity is like lighten up and knowing when to be curious and when to be wise. Um, is, I think, I, I guess I'm, I, I'm an alchemist by nature, and I've learned over time that um, al- alchemizing opposites uh, is I think the true value of somebody as they get older is knowing when you need a little bit more of this or a little bit more yeah. of that. I love how you describe that because what was coming to mind, I remember I, I, I opened up your profile in the book uh, from our first interview around the notion, I think you had left the line like we spend the first half of our life accumulating, right? Titles, things, jobs, experience, and then the second half of our life editing. And it's, it's, it's this this balance or this comparison that is so fascinating for me that for, for us, as someone learning from you, and, and there's many others, obviously, that it's that link again, like you said, that wisdom and you're still living. It's not like you're, you're on your way out. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a beautiful equation. Yeah. You know, it, and, and my thinking on that really came from Carl Jung, the famous psychologist, as well as yeah. Richard, Richard Rohr, the Christian mystic uh, who's still living uh, and was actually a student here at our Modern Elder Academy campus recently. The, so the idea that, 
you know, our operating system as we grow older, um, it moves from the operating system of your ego, which is what really is what we form as a child to actually individuate in the world. And it's what serves us or sometimes doesn't serve us in, in turning into an adult um, who's, you know, unique in the world. There's a thing that happens around midlife, which is that you actually, you've accumulated identities, you've accumulated all of these things, uh, friends, um, ways of thinking. And it's around midlife that you're in a place where all of that external stuff starts to sometimes become just a mess, which become, which is what a midlife crisis is. Yeah. But what starts to actually foment inside is this internal um, sense. And it's like, almost like the operating system for midlife moves from the, the ego to the soul. And in, in, in so doing, you've got to start letting go of some things because if you're yeah. actually not, if you're still accumulating and not editing, then you're, you've become a bag lady <laughs> or a hoarder and bag ladies and hoarders don't do well, especially um, as they get older, because there's only so much space. <laughs> and yeah. think the way I like to think of it visually is, Midlife has become a marathon. People, uh, sociologists now, many sociologists now consider midlife to be 35 to 75. Now, that's a long time. That's a marathon. Wow. So if you're running a marathon with a lot of baggage because you're not editing, um, that's going to be a very tiring ma marathon. Yeah. So, you know, what editing allows you to do is to open, open up space for something new. And what are, you know, I guess we'll jump right into it, but like what... What are some ways to edit? Well, one of the things we do ha here at the Modern Elder Academy is we do call the, what's called the Great Midlife Edit. Um, and I'm actually, gonna because this is a huge story about humans, I'm going to tell you the yeah. actual exercise we do. I, I almost never say this on a bad podcast, um, so I'm going to tell you here. We do this exercise. This, this is in the first 24 hours that a group of 20 people have got to know each other. And, and at this point, they're sort of a little primed to get to know each other deeper. There's sure. 150 um, name tags on a table. Now, these people don't know each other's last names. They've never read each other's LinkedIn profiles. Nobody has name tags. But now on a table, we have 150 name tags uh, with, with mindsets and identities on the name tag. So what's a mindset? A mindset is um, I'm always the hero. I, or I always have to be the hero um, or my best years are behind me uh, or um, uh, I, I'm terrible with tech or I would never surf. So those are mindsets. Identities are, are sort of related to that. Or it's like, I, I'm, I always have to be the caregiver, you know, or whatever. So we have all these name tags and then we have also an additional 50 name tags with nothing on them. People go and they pick out up to six name tags to plaster on their chest. They have no idea what they're, we're going to do with this. So they wow. pick out the six name tags that speak to them at, as being something that they need to edit, something that they need to let go of. Okay. Um, and then we put people in lines of two standing, you know, about, you know, six, in, well, no, a foot, a foot uh, away from each other. And we'll see how we do this in, in the times of Omicron now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We have Michael Franti coming this next week for, for our next week's workshop teaching with me. It's like, ah, you know, Omicron is not easy for workshops. Um, so uh, let's say they're a foot apart and then they look at each other's name tags 
and wow, um, and see each other, and then you go to the next person, and it's just and it's all in silence, and then we talk about it, and then people talk a little bit further about what it is in their life that is no longer serving them, and then we end up out on our beach terrace overlooking the Pacific Ocean at sunset. Uh, at our fire pit and we do a, a wonderful ritual where, where each person comes up and says, here's what I've written on this piece of paper. This is what I'm ready to let go of. And then mm. they throw it in the fire and then they turn around and say, and here's what I'm replacing it with. So that's what we call the great midlife edit. So the, yeah. so, it's the, so do, you don't have to come to MEA to do that. You could literally at home, I actually think there's value in doing it with another person yeah. for the for the witnessing of it. But you could do it with two of you, and literally, literally, just a little candle in in a in a bowl, such that you just you know throw the piece of paper in 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 the you know in the bowl with and light it on fire with the candle. Mm-hmm. So, but the but 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 the value in ritual, uh, and there's especially value in social ritual or community ritual, because what it does is it it marks a time where there's before and after, yes. and our life is so overstuffed and not punctuated. We need punctuation in our lives. And punctuation is, you know, ritual is a form of punctuation. Yeah. Well, there's two, there's, there's two things that come to mind when you're sharing that story. One, I can, I can almost feel the energy that must be in that room with no words being spoken and just people, you know, connected like that energetically. I, I participated in uh, an everyman men's group retreat at one point. And uh, we had done those A B lines, and um, this was it was really interesting because there was actually the way it was paired up. It, you had the youngest person in the room and the oldest person in the room, and the question was uh, for for the modern elder, you know, what wisdom do you want to pass on to this person? And then the flip side, what would you like to give uh, in return uh, to, to, for for the other person? And it was just tears. Where like mm. there's fifty other men just yeah. in a circle, right? And we had just all met each other. And I've never experienced something like that. I mean, I'm giving, getting goosebumps just recounting the story. But like, to your point, there is value in doing that with someone else. And like you said, mm-hmm. you know, light a candle or, 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 or make some sort of ritual or routine out of this, uh, or sorry, practice. Because um, it's powerful. And the other mm-hmm. thing that comes up is in, in uh, Michael Jordan's documentary, The Last Dance, right? Where Phil Jackson, for anyone that, that hasn't seen it, uh, th- this was the the last year that the whole team was supposed to be together and they had just won all the championships and, and, and he brought the team together and they, they were to, to arrive at that uh, practice with something written down on a page that they wanted to leave behind so that they can then move forward individually and, and go down their paths. And they all put it in a tin can and, and, and lit it on fire. And the only reason I bring that up, Chip, because I, I think we, we often talk about these type of things in very traumatic situations and like, which is totally, I I get, and there's value there, but there's also, I think there's also value in just moving on to something else, right? Or the next phase of your life. (sighs) Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You don't have to do this when you're going through trauma or terrible circumstances. I mean, what if the New Year's resolutions? You and I are having this conversation at the you know at the start of the year. What if New Year's resolutions was just the New Year New Year's editing? 
<laughs> yes. Instead of it, instead of being focused on resolving, I'm going to go do all these things. What if the what if the resolution was around what are you actually letting go of? What is it that you're actually stripping away? So that's something you could do annually, yeah. no matter in good times or bad times. Um, there's all kinds of things you can do. One of the one of my favorite practices or rituals um, that I started doing at age 28. Uh, was by myself. I and never even shared the fact I was doing it until I was maybe thirty-five or forty. Is every I, so I took a, a personal journal someone had given me that I'd never written in, and I uh, on the cover of the journal I wrote my wisdom book, my wisdom book. Um, yeah. And every weekend from that point forward, I on the weekend I'd spend fifteen to thirty minutes creating a set of bullet points of what did I learn that week? And it was, it was um, my way of trying to metabolize or even accelerate my digestion of my life experience, especially in my, in my career life. And, you know, it's such a simple thing (laughs) and it's had such a profound effect on me because what it did was it, it forced me once a week to make sense of my week to try to create some meaning in my week. Um, and more importantly, or just as important, what did I learn from it? And then how do I use it moving forward? And so I have like, you know, bef- until I moved to Google Docs for my my wisdom book, um, I had nine separate journals over the course of, you know, 30 years. Uh, wow. To, or, you know, I've been doing them for 33 years, but I think it was about 20, Maybe five years ago, I just moved it to Google Docs. But um, yeah, that's that's a ritual. So what's a, yeah. or a ritual or a practice? You know, um, yeah. a practice. You know, is probably more appropriate for the word of what that is, because a practice is also a little bit more personal. Whereas a ritual, often, I don't know if a ritual has to be social. Uh, you could maybe have a personal ritual, but I think when I think of rituals, I think of them more in the collective as, sure. as, as well, a practice might be something more personal. Yeah. But what I like with, with, with what you shared is, is, I mean, there's one element of, you've got this history, obviously of, of what you've learned and whatnot, and you can go back and you can, you can take a look at that, but, and, and that's valuable, of course, but I think it's the actual practice, which is the reflection in the moment that you're getting such tremendous value on not jamming in so much in your head or at least releasing, you know, things that would, would most likely follow you, you know, along life. If, if you didn't take that time, it it, it makes me think of even for me today. Um, and I'm going to do this now that you've, you've sparked my mind, but today for me has just been a, a day full of calls and, and podcasts and so forth. And, that is fantastic. I mean, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't want it any other way. But if I finish this with you and jump right down to going downstairs with the family and starting to get into dinner, nothing has been processed from the day. And, I, you know, just even taking five or 10 minutes and answering a question and in, in all of my journals on my desk, it just, you know, what, what am I hearing today? Or, or, or what's like, what needs to actually be acted on? What, what, what's next versus just flowing into the day? And next thing you know, you know, it's getting close to bedtime, putting the little guy down and I'm going to sleep with this full mind. Yeah. And, and you wonder why you're not, start. and you wonder why you're not sleeping. Right? Uh, so yeah. yeah, you know, this processing time is valuable. 
um, when I was going through really difficult times, so where really sort of existential angst, uh, I would do that daily. I would do a daily yeah. uh, version of it because it, it, it helped me to metabolize faster, helped me to sleep better too. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more uh, because what, what's fun about having repeat guests is I remember when we were first discussed or first sat down on, on the podcast, Modern the Modern Elder Academy, I think, was just starting. I, I don't <laughs> yeah. even think you had a location at that point or it was at the very beginning, right? And we're at least, I, th- I want to say, we're at least three years from, from that point, Um What's transpired? You know, what's exciting you about what's what's developed and yeah. in, in, in the community that's there? Well, you know what? What? Let me t- give you the the roots of this. So I was at, at Airbnb for four years, full time, and then three years as a strategic advisor. My role, I had multiple roles in the company, but sort of one of the int- intangible roles I had was to be the mentor to Brian Chesky, who um, is a co-founder and CEO and uh, still is CEO as a public company now. But I also reported to him and he was 21 years younger than me. Um, <laughs> and that was really interesting. And that's why part of, part of the reason I, 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 I guess, um, uh, bore, you know, I earned the name The Modern Elder. When I moved to the strategic advisor role, I moved to Baja, to, to Mexico, uh, where I was going to write my fifth book called Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. One day on a beach run, I had this crazy um, Baja aha, an epiphany, <laughs> Yes, which was, why are there no midlife wisdom schools? Why are there actually no rituals for midlife to help people to address what's, what they're going through? And, um, and I had had a really difficult age, 45 to 50, and I'd actually lost a handful of friends to suicide during that time too. So I was like, you know, this is a serious societal issue. And that's when I decided, okay, I'd create MEA, the Modern Elder Academy here in Baja. And, um, since that time, we've had 2000 alumni from 30 countries come to our, our programs and, um, uh, you know, as I said, we had Michael Franti coming next week. We had Paul Hawken last month. Uh, Lynn Twist is sold Paul money. Paul was just on the show. Oh, Great Paul's guy. amazing. Yeah. yeah, Paul. Paul actually lives here within walking distance of the campus in Baja now, ha- <laughs> okay. half time. Uh, so, long story short, is we've just had um, we've really built a community around it. So, with two thousand alumni, that's a lot. But you know, the community is even larger than that. Uh, Twenty eight regional chapters around the world. It's it's basically a movement. Average ages yeah. of the people who are coming is fifty four. But 15% of our people who come are, are millennials. And, and so our, we've had people as young as 28 and as old as 88 uh, come to one of our programs. Um, I think the key thing that I've learned from it is uh, learning how to reframe aging the, yeah. uh, like such that you know if you're 54 years old, which is the average age of the people who come to the program, and you're going to live till age 90. If you're 54 and you're living till 90, and the chances are moderately good that you will live till age 90, guess what? You have just as many years of adulthood ahead of you, 36, 90 minus 54, as you have behind you, 54 Mm. minus 18 when adulthood starts is 36. So no one thinks of 54 years old as halfway through their adult life, but it is true. And we do not operate from that place. And so the reason we call ourselves a midlife wisdom school is because it's all about learning how to cultivate and harvest that wisdom you've learned along the way and then repurpose it in new ways. Love it. Love it. 
Hello, everyone. I first wanted to say thanks for being here, and I hope you're enjoying the show. I wanted to let you know if you're interested, I just launched the Better Questions newsletter designed to provide you with a consistent 15-minute opportunity to pause and think, because a pause leads to clarity and operating with intention where we all win and thrive. The newsletter is short, simple, and practical, providing with three quality reflective prompts and mental fitness twice a month. But as always, I'll adjust the frequency based on your feedback. Never forget, at any point, you are always one question away from a completely different life or outcome. You can sign up over at BehindTheHuman.com, which will also give you a free preview of my debut book, Personal Socrates. BehindTheHuman.com. Now back to the show. Well, I just, I just love how I, I remember. I mean, this is where you, you've really impacted me, or, or the way I, I, I think about this stuff is just shifting from at least in Western culture, uh, and I don't want to blanket it, but I mean, in general, I don't think we have the same level of respect for our modern elders than in other cultures uh, sure. around the world, right? Where, like, to your point, like you know people are starting to slow or this is the illusion people are starting to slow down they're retiring and then mm-hmm. that's it right type thing versus there's just so much life there there's so much wisdom and there's so much awesome left to go and i mean i, I my father-in-law is, is is one of those people i think i, I emailed you after our first podcast he bought mm-hmm. your book for his whole <laughs> his whole group that that yeah. meets you know every month and it's just been a gift, at least on my side of, because when you're e- explaining uh, younger people going to to the academy, like, I would love to just go there and soak up Dude, the wisdom. come. Right, come. and just soak it look, up. Look, look at our schedule oh. for this next few months. Just, like, let's get you to come. Oh, it'd be amazing. Well, I mean, so as I said earlier, I started having my wisdom book at age 28. I literally called it my wisdom book. Who knew that wisdom was going to become like part of my brand? I mean, like I wasn't part of my brand at age 28. That's for sure. (laughs) So I think, you know, wisdom is not, there are a lot of wise 30 year olds and totally not wise 75 year olds. So wisdom, Mm. the value of wisdom with age is it gives you more time to discern and to build your intuition of life experience such that the more time you have, the more wise you can become. But just because you have years doesn't mean that you are wise. It's all a function of what you do with those years. So, um, and let's also be clear, a modern elder is not a traditional elder. Traditional elders of the past, and in many societies still, have a certain level of reverence paid to them. They have a certain level of power as well. And to me, a modern elder is in a symbiotic relationship with people younger than them. And, and okay. you, can be a, you can be a modern elder at age 38 if you are in a company full of 22-year-olds. So, sure. it's, so it's a, it's, elder is a relative term. And so the idea of being a modern elder is you're as curious as you are wise. And what that means is that there are times, as was true of me at Airbnb, working in a tech company at the first time at age 52 – and being in charge of strategy for the company, <laughs> in charge of hospitality <laughs> strategy for a company in an industry tech that I'd never been in, um, I had to be the dumbest person in the room. I was yeah. not the traditional elder who's just going to dispense wisdom. No, I was actually the person asking questions. I had my own personal Socrates thing going on there. <laughs> and 
that's what actually endeared me to a lot of the people at Airbnb. It's re- the reason I had a hundred mentors over the course of my seven years, four years plus three years of being in the company is that people said, you know, I don't expect people in their fifties to be so vulnerable about what they don't know. But the part that was interesting, Chip, is you asked questions that helped us to see our blind spots. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like you were the dumb person in the room. No, you're actually the curious person in the world. And yeah. your curiosity was catalytic. And that's when I realized, oh, okay, and that's the, the new version of the modern elder. But it's really not a new version. Socrates was that. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Well, and just for, I mean, uh, th- there's a reason the, the opening prompt in your profile is, you know, how can I be the most curious person in the room? Uh, and you didn't give that as, as, a, as a title for the profile. It just, it oozes out of your, your DNA and who you are, right? And I think the other, I think the final thought in that profile is, the the most curious person in the room is also the most present, and mm. that I mean that is a gift, and that I mean that's that's picked up from from obviously our our interview and your work. But I, what I wanted to ask is around presence, and that's why I brought it up. Is just having gone through this journey and being on this journey, like what what surprised you about putting this together, or you know what what have you learned from all of these incredible people coming through? Well, let's, I mean, let me, it feels like those are two questions I'm going to, because I'm going to deal with presence first and then, and sure. then more specifically the other question. Um, so the opposite of presence is absence. Yeah. And we know what that's like when somebody, you're talking to someone and they've got one of these little devices in front of them while they're talking to you, you know what it feels like to talk to an absent person. You also know what it's like to have an absent boss or an absent spouse, or so presence is noticeable because we live in a world full of absence, uh, because we live in a world full full of distraction. So when someone is actually truly present and you feel heard, you feel respected, et cetera. So so I think presence is an exceptionally important quality. Um, it's It's an absolute human quality. No one would ever say a robot has presence. Um, you could say an animal does. You could say like your dog who's just being present with you because it's that time of day when you're supposed to get fed. They're supposed to get mm-hmm. fed. There's an element of, you know, but but living things have presence. Yeah. Um, now, in terms of what I've learned, yes, I've learned a lot about presence. I, I mean, during the pandemic of the almost last two years, um, learning to I, I do something called spying on the divine um i put it Ooh. three hours three hours on my calendar monday wednesday friday during 2020 um when we were closed down here at the at the academy because of the the real core of the pandemic and um i would go out into nature with my job my dog jamie and I would usually try to go to a place that I had never been before here in the southern Baja Peninsula. And there's just an enormous amount of beauty here, a lot of nature. So it was a nice place to be for the pandemic because it's so beautiful yeah. and so outdoors. And it's you don't have to be indoors because the weather is you know very uh, attuned to being outdoors. And I just spied on the divine, which basically meant I used nature as my teacher. Yeah. So... I would say that one of my key lessons during the last four years uh, of, you know, having created the MEA and had lots of great teachers here has been my best teacher has actually been nature. 
<laughs> when, you know, whether, and, and I take people on awe walks now. So we actually just did one yesterday with the people here in, in Baja. Um, what did so you call it? An awe walk. And a, a, okay. A-W-E, an awe walk. It's also, people also talk about forest bathing. Truly, oh, when, yeah. I first heard, when I first heard forest bathing, they think, oh, where, you know, I would, I love being in water. I love going, <laughs> like, like hot springs in the forest are so good. And then yeah. I realized forest bathing, bathing was something different. But um, forest bathing is like an awe walk. It's basically going into nature with the eyes of a five-year-old. Um, and with the curiosity and the sense of both awe and wonder yeah. to see the world, um, not just in terms of its marvelousness, how, how, how just marvelous it is uh, and magical, but also to see what is, what is it teaching me here? Oh, look, look at the interdependence of those two trees mm-hmm. or look at the resilience over there. Or look at the aesthetic beauty of something that's broken. We have a tendency to think, look at people who are broken physically as, oh, I'm so sorry for them. And then you go look in, in anywhere in nature where something is a little aberration and it yeah. is not normal. And it's like, oh, that's so cool. And that's an Instagram moment. And, yeah. and, and yet when it comes to people, it's like, so why? So that's one thought about people versus nature. The other thought I have about people in nature around this is the following we marvel at old growth forests and the idea of old and growth in the same term. No one says anything wrong with old growth forests, but what about old growth humans? So (laughs) true. The idea of aging and growth are almost like they're, you know, they're diametric, diametrically opposed to each other. As you age, you no longer grow. Well, that may be true in terms of your height. In fact, you might shrink. Sure. But in terms of your the depth of your heart, your connection to your soul, your ability to connect with other humans on new levels that you couldn't have done 20 years earlier, these are some of the qualities that actually do get better. You do grow as you age. So old growth humans are, are, are true people. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's just ah, nature. I mean, just going back to just nature in general, it, I think it's just a good perspective shift at any point, right? If you're really present in terms of that, that surrounding, you you start to realize how, how small you are in the whole ecosystem. And that, to your point, like it's marvelous. And just to, to borrow some language from, I guess, our mutual friend, Paul uh, Hawking is just, you know, nature doesn't make mistakes. Like pay attention, <laughs> look around, right? It's it, right. everything is happening in, in such detail into such perfection, whether we like the outcome or not. I mean, mm-hmm. there's reasons for this, right? And I think it's just, we can give ourselves the luxury of the pause going for a nice long awe walk or forest bathing without the water or with the water, if you'd like. <laughs> and I mean, also just generate ideas and be, be it, there, there's just, there's no downside to doing that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, what else have you done? Just, you know, given we're, we're in it and who the hell knows how many more variants and w- what's going on with, with this pandemic. But I mean, we definitely could use more practices like this that, that can mm-hmm. help and everyone's different. So everyone will resonate with, with different things, different rituals, different practices. What else has helped for, for you? 
Well, I mean, I love to meditate. I love to meditate pre-COVID meditation, during COVID is even, even better. Um, sound baths. You know, I had one last night. So it's a sound bath. Okay, now for, for Back bathing, to the bathing sound bath. So sound bath doesn't have any water either. But um, <laughs> but Teddy, who's our meditation, our, our mindfulness leader here at MEA, um, he did a, just a stunning sound bath with candles and you know, Tibetan bowls and the right kind of music and crickets, you know, you know, natural crickets just around the space. And um, I think- How do you it, feel when you're doing that, Chip? Just for people that, I've only done it once. So mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I've only had that experience once. I'd yeah. love to do more, but like what, well, my what happens? How do you feel? Last night, so I can tell you. Um, well, I will tell you that, you know, sometimes with a sound bath, as I'm going into this altered state, and he also puts you in different positions uh, over oh. the course of only over the course of 75 minutes, only like five or six different positions. But you hold a position, and when I say hold a position, I don't mean like you're standing up on one one foot. No, actually, you're sort of you've got uh, maybe a bolster uh, below your um, below your back, so that it's opening your chest up. And you're just okay. sort of so it's 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 a stable position that's easy to hold, but it's really about opening yourself up. And I would say that the number one thing that at first you have some sometimes like oh, okay wait I don't know if I want to go here this is like too this is like I want to be in control and um, but I think what happens is your nervous system just starts to kick in to a, a more tranquil state, and you realize that you're you don't have to be in control. Um, you know, if you try to be in control of your sleep, you won't sleep. And if you, if you try to be in control of your life, well, you know, there's, it may work on some level. It does. And that's why you keep doing it. And yet, um, you know, famous Reinbold neighbor serenity prayers, you know, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. And this you know that was written in the 1930s, but it might have might have been said by Socrates, because it's an age old wisdom about focusing on what you can change and then learning how to surrender to what you can't. And and when you're in a sound bath, the key is to just surrender to it, um, yeah. because that's that's the joy of it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. What's um. What's got you excited or what's what's left to try this year? Like, what do you want to, is there anything you want to experiment with? Oh, there's all kinds of things. I mean, I, um, the thing I'm actually most excited about is creating regenerative communities. So you talked about mm. Paul and Paul, Paul has really elevated the word regeneration out there. Yeah. And so now, you know, unfortunately, because now it's going to become slapped on everything, just like sustainable was slapped on everything, just like organic was slapped on everything. Um, so we have to figure out that you will have to have you know, the regeneration police to make sure that someone using the word is using it in a proper fashion. But um, we are creating a series of regenerative communities. So okay. MEA has been a real great uh, wake up call for me to see that most of the people of I'm a, I'm a younger boomer, um, but the average person who comes here is a Gen Xer. Um, and, and, you know, as I said, lots of millennials, too. When they when this these these three generations think about retirement communities, they get freaked out. Like that's not mm-hmm. where they want to live. So what we're creating is regenerative communities. So built around a regenerative farm or ranch, 
with a series of homes around it, uh, with a regenerative farmer ranch, you know, regenerating the soil and regenerating the planet, but also regenerating the soul with our programs and regenerating a sense of community. Um, You know, if you're living in a community, most people who live in a community don't even know who lives next door to them, you know? So true. And if we're going to actually deal with a big issue we're going to have in the next 50 years, which is a caregiving um, scarcity, where we, in the U.S., we have such strict immigration laws, you know, not as many people coming into the country, uh, fewer and fewer people who want to be caregivers, more and more people who need caregiving. Well, most of the caregiving people need is not acute caregiving, and it's not technical medical stuff. It's just sometimes when you're feeling sick, having someone go to the store for you, or it's actually, you know, just, so building these regenerative communities where frankly, the communities are self self self-policing, self-serving, self-caring. So that's another thing. And then, and how these, how do these regenerative communities give back to the locale? Um, So we have one here in Baja. Uh, We have another one that we're working on in Santa Fe. Um, New Mexico, uh, as well as we have a 2,600 acre ranch in Santa Fe. So we're going to be creating an academy campus there. So yeah, I'm excited. Well, that's exciting. About, I'm, excited. I'm excited about that. <laughs> and I'm excited about creating wisdom workers. You know, Peter Drucker was the one who in 1959 coined the term knowledge worker. And he was so way ahead of his game. Uh, you know, nobody knew what the hell he was talking about. Like what's a, what's a knowledge worker? And he said, well, they'll use you know, information, data, uh, information and data to uh, be more effective in the organizational world. It was like, okay, what, you know, how will they do that? Well, they'll do it with computers. It was like, okay, what's, the, what's a computer? <laughs> yeah. So the bottom line is he was way ahead. And today, seven of the 10 most valuable companies in the world are tech companies. And those are the ultimate companies full of knowledge workers. But knowledge is back to my little iPhone here. All the world's knowledge is in this damn little iPhone. So we are awash in knowledge, but what's really missing often is, is and what's scarce is, is wisdom. Yeah. So I'm excited about how do we create a world full of wisdom workers, people whose whose work is about how, how to distill and and make wisdom more available to all of us. Um, and because wisdom is not taught, it's shared. And, mm-hmm. and that's a really good, you know, if every leadership team did the following exercise, once a quarter, you sit down with the leadership team, let's say it's eight people, and you say, what was your biggest lesson of the last quarter? Talk, tell everybody else what it is. Let's tell our stories. Let's be vulnerable. Yeah. Let's actually learn from the lessons of our own and others. Man, that's an exercise that is very human. And is, also yeah. one that allows people to dis- to, to create a social means of um, distilling their wisdom. So then I imagine the, the, the vision or the, the wisdom workers that you're working towards is across generations. And, okay. and having, it is. Yeah. yeah. No, no, there's no age, no age barrier on that one. No, it could be anybody. We did a, we did a, an exercise at, at, uh, at Airbnb, which was, we asked all of our employees during the employee satisfaction survey, a survey um, within the company, uh, but not including your boss, uh, who do you seek out for advice or wisdom? And we then created a heat map of who were perceived as the wise people in the company. And it was fascinating. It was not just older people. It was younger people. It was lots of women, you know, and it was actually a lot of people who had invisible roles as mentors, 
that none of us wow. in senior leadership even knew about. Wow. It was beautiful. That's a great question for any company to ask. Yeah. Well, I was good. That, that's my last question for you is around questions. Just you're obviously uh, a reflective human. And I'm just wondering if there are any, any questions right now that are floating around that you're journaling on or thinking about or that you use in your regular routine. Hmm. A question I uh, use regularly, I'll give you two questions. One is sure. a question I ask in job interviews. Um, and another one is a question I ask to my direct reports who work with me. Um, the question I ask in job interviews is, um, what's the number one way you're misperceived at work? Uh, or what's the number one way you have con consistently been misperceived at, at any of your working experiences? It's a really interesting question because it forces a person to have self-reflection to sort of see, okay, well, who, you know, how, <laughs> who am I and how do I, how am I perceived and why is that? And, Oh man, it's a question that no one expects that is coming, and I have <laughs> seen some. I very, can only imagine very flustered people, but I, it's a great question. And then the question I ask direct reports is, um, how can I support you to do the best work of your life here at Airbnb or my former company that I started, Joie Vive Hospitality or Modern Elder Academy? How can I support you? Because when your boss is asking you the question. You know, the boss wants to support you, you know, to, for you to succeed. And a lot of a lot of employees don't necessarily know that their boss wants them to succeed. Yeah. Um, and but then the ask them to do the best work of their life is like, oh, you're asking me to stretch. Hmm, yeah. Interesting. But then the, like the, the best thing about this is like it puts the agency in their lap. So instead of the boss being in charge of trying to figure out how am I going to make this person work better, harder, more effectively. No, actually you tell me. <laughs> what, is yeah. it to, what, do you, what do you need? What do you need? And, that, and then it leads to a very provocative conversation. Yeah, so. amazing. These are great. These are great. I'll remember that one question uh, about being misconceived when I'm applying for the wisdom worker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. Um, last one for you, Chip. Just, you know, what, what's making you smile these days? Hanging out with you, Mark. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I think what makes me smile is feeling content. Now, this is a word that if you'd asked me at age 30, do I want to be content? I was like, not really. I mean, content is sort of for losers. Content is for people yeah. who are not striving. Content is for people who have sort of settled. And I, I think what has me smiling today is that actually contentment um, is not a bad place to be. I, I'm also somebody who's always loved the word joy as opposed to happiness. Now, I studied mm. happiness and I, I went to, to, to Bhutan to study the Gross National Happiness Index and my first TED Talk was a talk on happiness. But joy is what's more interesting to me. Uh, joy, happiness, as J.D. Salinger from Catcher and Rye said, um, happiness is a solid and joy is a liquid. And I love that because happiness is often circumstantial, but joy is coming from inside of you. It's like it's, you say joy is overflowing. You don't say happiness is overflowing. Joy is overflowing. It's coming from inside of you. It's an elation of the soul. Powerful. So that's what's got me smiling. Well, I mean, you've got me smiling, as you can see on the <laughs> video, and you know, I, I just like to, A, thank you for being on the show again, of course, and 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 for gracing the pages of, of my debut book. I mean, that means the world. Um, but a bigger thank you 
I mean, I'll stick with the theme of, of just you spreading joy into this world and you showing up with curiosity every day and, and, and helping so many people out there shift perspective and un- unlock new possibility and opportunity. I mean, it's just a beautiful thing to witness and, and somewhat be a part of in, in any way that I can. So thank you for that, Chip. And, mm. you know, I wish you and, and the team and everyone that surrounds you nothing but awesome in 2022. Thank you, Mark. I look, for, look forward to seeing you one of these days. Take oh, yeah. a look at the, our workshop calendar. Come on down. <laughs> I will. I will. All right. All right.